everybody. My name is Shauna, and this is the American English Podcast. My goal here is to teach you the English spoken in the United States. Through common expressions, pronunciation tips, and interesting cultural snippets or stories, I hope to keep this fun, useful, and interesting. Let's do it. Hi, everyone. How are you doing? It's very nice here today in the San Fernando Valley. What's the weather like where you're from? Is it hot and sunny? Is it overcast with a chance of showers? Overcast is just a fancy way to say cloudy. You can see a lot of clouds overhead. It's dark usually because of it. It's overcast. It's not at all overcast where I am. It's sunny out. There's not a cloud in sight. And I wanted to mention this first because talking about weather is a very common way to start a conversation with an American. Obviously, in the United States, we use Fahrenheit to talk about weather, not Celsius. And so it can get a little bit tricky when discussing temperature. If you listen to episode number 18, you'll get a great overview of how to talk about weather in standard American English. In that episode, I mentioned that there was a nice poem on a government website called NIST, N-I-S-T, and it's to help Americans understand Celsius. 30 degrees Celsius is hot. 20 degrees Celsius is nice, 10 degrees Celsius is cold, 0 degrees Celsius is ice. Now, if I translate that poem into Fahrenheit using the equivalent of 30, 20, 10, and 0, this poem sounds like this. 86 is hot, 68 is nice, 50 is cold, 32 is ice. I know, it doesn't sound as great as the Celsius version, but I think it's great to have those reference points, especially since converting Celsius to Fahrenheit requires that you multiply the Celsius amount by 1.8 and add 32. That's pretty awkward, right? (laughs) In the San Fernando Valley, it's about 100 degrees. Fahrenheit. So, very hot. We've been spending quite a bit of time outside, and in today's episode, I'm going to talk about the bird drama that we've had this week. As usual, in Chats with Shauna episodes, I keep it casual. I'll speak at a normal speaking speed and explain challenging phrases and expressions as I go along. This is for you to get used to hearing unscripted, easygoing thoughts and stories, just as you'd hear in normal, everyday life. If you would like to access a quiz to test your listening comprehension, the transcript that goes alongside this audio, as well as a lot of other content and exercises and worksheets for other episodes, be sure to sign up to Season 3 or to all premium content at AmericanEnglishPodcast.com. I'll also be sure to post those links inside the episode notes. 
let's go ahead and begin. I like birds. Not all birds. I do not enjoy pigeons and how they will fly overhead and poop on you. I do not enjoy when seagulls try and eat my food when I am at the beach. I swear, I saw a seagull once fly up to a man's blanket that he left unattended and steal a Subway sandwich from it. They're on a mission to steal people's lunches. So pigeons and seagulls, eh, not my favorite. Of course, you've got other birds that are a little bit vicious, like ravens. Ravens are big black birds. You can also call it a blackbird. Or perhaps hawks. In my area, where I currently live, there are canyons. And in the canyons, hawks fly overhead, searching for food or prey down below. However, when I think of birds generally, I like them. I remember my grandpa, when I was a child, filling up his bird feeder with water and sugar so that the birds would have something nice and sweet to drink. I remember he bought bird seed and would go outside and sprinkle it along his porch. And the birds would come and he would be very excited watching from the inside as they ate what he laid out for them. As a kid, I remember going on vacation in Hawaii. And at the hotel where we stayed, they had flamingos that stood inside of little ponds, little lakes, with a bunch of vegetation and flowers. And they just stared off into the distance. My brother and I would sit next to the pool of water on a ledge. A ledge is kind of a tricky word in English. We can use it often. It's just a horizontal piece of either rock or wood or metal, any material really, that protrudes from a wall. It projects from a wall or another surface. So you can always set something on top of a ledge. You can sit on a ledge. It just sticks out horizontally. So we were sitting on this ledge, admiring the flamingos. Tall, beautiful, peachy pink with black beaks. Wondering how in the world they could manage to stand on one foot all day. When I think of the word bird, many images of birds appear in my mind, from very small to large ones, taller than me. For example, a hummingbird is so tiny, it could fit in the palm of my hand. It beats its wings or flaps its wings 10 to 15 times per second. That's wild. Then there's ostriches, flightless birds. Birds that are definitely taller than me and live in places like Africa. As far as I'm aware, they roam the African savanna. They run up to 43 miles per hour, which is pretty fast. And they're pretty funny looking. They've got a very long neck. 
a very pointy beak, a big body with black feathers, and long legs. When someone says the word bird, what comes to your mind? Do you think of the bald eagle? The bird we spoke about in episode number 32, To Wing It, which is a national emblem of the United States. You'll see the bald eagle on our money, on our stamps, on government buildings. It's everywhere. Or do you think of birds that you can eat if you're not vegetarian or vegan, like turkeys and chickens? In our backyard, we do not have turkeys or chickens. We have neither bald eagles nor ostriches. We have regular birds. I couldn't tell you the species. I don't know. But they're cute. Brownish, tan in color, with little feathers, little beaks, little legs. They actually chirp all the time. My house is located on a corner, and all of the other houses around us have trees. Naturally, it's a habitat for creatures. We have two black cats that run up and down the trees all day long. We have a family of squirrels that can be seen darting across the road and up the tree trunks. Occasionally, You'll see a coyote running through my neighborhood. We actually saw him last night chasing after cats. And he chases those squirrels as well up into those trees. The coyote can't really make it up. Thank goodness. I actually run out normally like a crazy woman and yell at the coyote whenever he arrives. I tell him to shoo. To shoo means go away. And also up in those trees, there are a lot of birds. We have that family of tan birds that live in our bushy tree, and they fly back and forth from there to the orange tree and lemon tree that we have on our lot. And they sing. They're so vocal. They're like an alarm clock, but a better alarm clock than the one I actually have. Up in that tree, in that bushy tree in our backyard, the mama bird made a nest. She's very crafty. She gathered sticks and pieces of fabric and other scraps from around our neighborhood and wove it all together in a nice bunch. The nest, unfortunately, was faulty. It had faults. It was not perfect. And here's why. Last week, on Sunday, my family came home from a trip and saw a little bird sitting in a bed of rocks in our backyard. And he seemed frozen, staring off into the distance. I actually stood by my entryway for a while looking at him. And after a while, I decided to approach. When I got closer, I saw him blink, so his eyes were opening and closing but you could tell that something was up. Something was off. Something wasn't right. He looked like he was in shock. And so Lucas and the girls who were behind me came there also. 
They got closer to the baby bird. And of course, my little girls wanted to touch it. I didn't let them. But we were a little bit disturbed. We didn't know what to do with him. So we decided, okay, if he's in shock, maybe he needs some water. We have a mini pool in our backyard. But we weren't sure if he could actually make it up to the edge to get a drink. So I brought a little bowl outside. I also grabbed some sunflower seeds and mashed them up in another bowl for him. And then we left them there outside for about five minutes and then checked on him. He wasn't eating. He wasn't drinking. He was still facing towards our fence and not moving. Lucas was a little bit disturbed, and he wanted to see what was up with the bird. And so he touched it, and the bird started moving, running, like a drunken sailor, like a drunken human. He was not running straight. He was falling all over the place. Something was very off. We were just thankful it started moving. The next morning, though, I woke up and decided it was the day to spray for spiders. In summertime in the San Fernando Valley in California, insects of all kinds appear around the neighborhood. I spoke about an infestation of crickets in my neighborhood back in episode number 121. Yes, crickets, like grasshoppers, but a little brown. And although friendly, they're very unwanted in my house. They actually make their way into the house in wintertime if you live here. In summertime, though, it's spiders, ants, and things like that. There's also some cockroaches that live nearby. We don't live in a very dirty area. I I just can't figure out what the deal is, why they're attracted to this area of the valley. I don't know. So the other day, I was spraying for spiders. I got a sort of toxic liquid that spiders do not like and sprayed it along our fence line. I also sprayed along the edge of the house, hoping that it would prevent spiders from coming nearby. And while I was out spraying, I saw the baby bird hidden on our fence in a corner in the shade. So there I was at a crossroads. What should I do? I tried to give it water again but it wasn't interested. It was then that the situation got a little crazy. Our babysitter arrived, who is a Brazilian woman who grew up on a farm in Rio and is completely nuts about animals. She's an animal lover. She walked straight over to the baby bird, picked it up with her bare hands, so without gloves on, and examined it. It didn't appear to have a broken wing, but its leg looked a little hurt. She was going to help it. And while she was rummaging around, so she was looking actually for a cardboard box to put the baby bird in, she found another baby bird, also on the ground, also unable to fly. It turns out that the nest, this very fancy, elaborate nest that the mama bird had built, had fallen out of the tree before the baby birds had learned how to fly. I could also say it had fallen out of the tree before they learned to fly. So there we were, our Brazilian babysitter, my two daughters, 
my husband and I, not working on a Monday because of these baby birds. So what happened? They clearly needed food. So I got my bags, ran to the store for bird seed, thinking that the sunflower seeds I'd given probably weren't going to cut it, to not cut it. And I say the negative here because it's much more common to use in the negative is a phrasal verb that means to be insufficient or not good enough to solve a problem or achieve a desired result. For example, if I'm having a house party for 100 people and I send you to the store to buy drinks and you only buy drinks for 50 people, I'm going to tell you, hey, I'm sorry, that's not going to cut it. 50 drinks is insufficient. It's not enough. People will be thirsty. It's not going to cut it. Another example, example number two, if you're studying for an English exam like IELTS and you decide to start studying one day before the exam, that's not going to cut it. It won't be enough. It won't be sufficient to get a desired result. So the sunflower seeds weren't cutting it. The birds weren't eating them. So I went to the store to get bird seed. Also, these birds were not safe on the ground. I mentioned before that there are two black cats that run back and forth around the neighborhood. They look for prey, of course. Now, Julia, one of my daughters, um, the eldest one, named one of them Mr. McGregor, like the farmer in the story Peter Rabbit. And so when she sees the cat, she always runs away and says, it's Mr. McGregor, it's Mr. McGregor. So between Mr. McGregor and the coyote, the squirrels and the hawks that fly overhead, our weak little birds on the ground were as good as dead. We needed to get them near their mom. So to make a long story short, we got a cardboard box with bird seed and water, and we put it up in the tree on the highest branch, very secure, obviously, to avoid another fall thinking that if they were closer to their mom or in her sight, she would be able to feed them and teach them how to fly. And there is one good thing about the end of this story. The mother came. The cardboard box was her new nest. And by the afternoon, one of the birds flew out with their mom. The other one, unfortunately, didn't make it. He passed away. I kept asking myself, if I had set the baby birds in that cardboard box a day earlier, might they have lived? This is the third conditional. It's used to talk about the hypothetical past. Obviously, one of the birds did not live. If I had set him in that cardboard box a day earlier, he might have lived. This happened on Monday, and we really spent the whole morning watching on the edge of our seats to see what would happen with the baby birds. Based on our Google searches, we learned some surprising things. It turns out it's very easy for birds to go into shock from trauma. To go into shock. Shock, according to Mayo Clinic, is a critical condition 
brought on by the sudden drop in blood flow through the body. Shock may result from trauma, heat stroke, blood loss, an allergic reaction, severe infection, poisoning, severe burns, or other causes. That bird went into shock after falling out of the tree. We also found out that it's not always easy to bring birds out of shock, and that many times they die afterwards. No matter what, it's always worth trying. We shared our bird adventure with friends, and some of them thought about the situation differently. I mean, we ended up being sad, and others were like, what did you do? Why did you try and save this bird? One of our friends told us that we deprived Mr. McGregor, the neighborhood cat, from lunch. That the baby bird was part of a food chain. We disrupted that food chain. So what would you have done if you were in my shoes? You could answer this like I would have tried to save the bird. I would have, right, because this is once again the hypothetical past. Or would you have fed the baby bird to Mr. McGregor? At the end of the day, I will always root for the underdog. An underdog is a competitor who has less of a chance of winning. When I go to a sporting event, if my team is not playing, I root for the underdog. I cheer on the underdog. I want the underdog to win. A hurt bird against a healthy cat is definitely the underdog. To wrap up, I'd like to share some information. In the U.S., if you find a hurt animal, and if you don't know how to help it, you should call an animal shelter or animal protection control services. You can type those words, animal shelter or animal protection or animal control services, into Google and you'll find some phone numbers. If you're unfamiliar with local agencies and if your Google search doesn't result in anything that looks useful, you can call 911. Across the U.S., this is how you report emergencies, and they'll direct your call in the right direction. Now, before this baby bird incident, I'd saved one animal in the past, and it was actually a seal. I was able to report a hurt seal on a beach near my house in Santa Barbara. And it was cool to see how eager some people are to save animals. The Marine Biology Department on the UCSB campus ran to the rescue. And I watched from my apartment as they raced across the beach on a little buggy and picked up the seal and saved it. It was a really happy day. So my question to you is, have you ever saved an animal? If you have, please share your story on Instagram. My Instagram page is at American English Podcast. I'd love to hear from you. Once again, if you are interested in learning about animals and some of the important vocabulary needed to talk about them, be sure to listen to episode number 58, which is all about exotic animals as pets. That's a crazy episode. I really enjoyed making that. Episode number 32, once again, is about bald eagles. And if you would like to learn about bears in the U.S., check out episode number 10. 
Hope you enjoyed the chat about birds. Once again, let's share a few vocab words you should know when talking about them. A bird's mouth is called a beak. The sound birds make is either chirping or singing. Or if it's annoying, we say squawking. Gosh, get that squawking bird out of here. (laughs) Maybe a pigeon squawks and doesn't chirp or sing. Birds have wings to fly. They also have feathers, which helps them fly. Birds build nests. They lay eggs. And they eat bird seed and worms and many other things. That's it for today's episode. If you are stuck at an intermediate level and really want to start seeing progress with your language skills, consider signing up to premium content. You can find the link to season three premium content or all premium content in the episode notes and on the episode webpage. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the American English Podcast. Remember, it's my goal here to not only help you improve your listening comprehension, but to show you how to speak like someone from the States. If you want to receive the full transcript for this episode, or you just want to support this podcast, make sure to sign up to premium content on AmericanEnglishPodcast.com. Thanks and hope to see you soon.